1: I think we're going to see a
2: lot more white space partly because I think we're we're going to start to look at this these designs, these mockborg designs and they're really really expensive to replicate. And I think people are going to start pushing back on the idea that RPGs should have to be an expensive endeavor to be for creators.
0: Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast the show that calls on the champions and new contenders of the Tabletop RPG Arena. My name is Jeremy Gage, and I am learning about tabletop game design and publishing. If you are a budding game designer or a veteran looking for fresh musings, stay tuned as we learn about the inspirations, processes, and philosophies of professionals in the industry. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Draw Your Dice podcast. My name is Jeremy Gage, as you heard in the intro from past Jeremy. I am going to redo that intro at some point, but today is not about me. Today is about a great, great first attempt <laughs> at talking about non-game design towards making a great designed game today i have a guest that i've been following for a long time on twitter that just recently joined the brain trust so we've been connecting base in there is a works for an advertisement firm in forms of visuals excuse me visual design and has been a great twitter personality to follow for forever i would like to welcome to the show clayton (sighs) notestein
2: It's my favorite part is the applause. It's just you breathing out. It's such,
0: it's so good. I like when I first
2: heard it on the on the podcast. I was like, oh, Jeremy, what are you doing? And then third episode, I was like, okay, I really like this. Like I look forward to it every single time it happens. And so like when you said like, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? And then I was like, ooh, I'm going to get that that applause. You know, like I have to go on. To get the applause. <laughs> and I and I like how you you buried the lead that, like, you're the one who invited me to the brain trust. Oh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I didn't want to, you know, that's, uh, you know.
2: I, I, it's not, well, I guess it's not, like, a, a big deal. But, it, like, I've, I've I've very much enjoyed my assimilation into the game designers' uh, discord, only to just stare at what they do and
0: just clap. <laughs> uh, Aww. But, yeah, no. Yeah. I thought you would be an excellent addition to the Discord. I think you have a lot of things to say about stuff that people have a ton of questions about, even yeah. though this may be like their 10th or 11th game.
2: Right. Yeah. No. And it's all about iteration, right? But I guess before we get into that conversation, I should probably introduce yeah, myself. Yeah. Clayton, who are you? Hello, everyone. I am Clay. <laughs> I am Clay Notestein or Clayton Notestein. I. I, I write Clayton. It looks good written, but in person, just Clay works. And I have he, him pronouns. And yeah, I, I am one part educator. I like to teach people about visual design, product design, UX design. And then I am another part reviewer, critic. Whatever word works for that, that doesn't make you upset when you hear it. I, I'm, the, <laughs> I'm the person who writes about games, but doesn't design them.
0: Um, uh, great I mean listen if no one else gets anything from this episode but you're gonna get a lot today I'm really excited Clayton has provided me an entire list of things that we can talk about because this is my first time so we're literally doing it live but if nothing else add Clayton on Twitter the link will be in the show notes and it is a an absolute font of power to to be able to Read those and access what Clayton has to say about different designs in, in RPG games. So claps, claps to you.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know how to make a tweet that is, isn't exactly the amount of characters that you're allowed to make. Like all my <laughs> tweets are like overly verbose, but some people like them because they're about things that I'm obsessed with. And mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, it turns out there are other people who are obsessed with typography, layout, squares, rectangles, and different shades of red. So, which is great, <laughs> like, awesome.
0: I Before I started dabbling in game design, it, partially having you on here is a, a selfish victory for me because I wanted to, I was reading into, like, learning about HTML and CSS, and I was learning about web right. design layout and yeah. things like that, and that's when I started learning about the grid, at least in terms of website design. Yeah. And, I don't know, I've always been fascinated by, like, magazines and websites and Mm -hmm. all that but I don't like I don't like to code so (laughs) no neither do
2: I and I actually started with web with with website like layout that was where I first learned layout and so I've learned some things incorrectly for print and Mm -hmm. but but I'm still and that's I think here's the important thing too that I want to point out is like at the end of the day I consider myself more a student of this stuff than like an expert. Like I'm making air quotes here. I'm not an expert. I, I, but I am obsessed about these things. And every time I learn about them, I just re package what I learned into new language. I usually give it new meaning by applying it to RPGs. And then I share it with people online
1: hmm mm-hmm.
0: it's all about that application I mean knowledge is only powerful once you use it right so yeah. that's great I think that's a great way to do it and it's definitely it definitely inspires me to want to do very similar things but enough about me let's talk about layout so we have some right. things here let's just give let's just start with like the basics. What is what is good layout? What are some good principles or philosophies to like start from? Because I know you've listed some book products. In fact, I recently literally just bought the making and breaking the grid by Timothy Samara. And, you know, I this is coming from your exploration website blog blog website. So mm-hmm. I am loving it. What are some basics? What are some basics that people can... All what right. is the grid? Yeah. What is layout design? What is visual design, etc.?
2: Okay, so layout is exactly what you might imagine it is. The layout is all the words, the pictures, the folios, the elements that make up your game as a physical thing put into one collective piece, whether that's on a page, on a screen, on a website, what have you. And as for how to do layout really, really well... There are a thousand ways. There are like millions of ways. Like, so my important thing that I, like, I want everyone to know is that I don't believe in there being a best way for anything, but I do believe that there are ways of doing things really, really well by, that, that have been proven by other people. So it's a, it's a matter of finding what works for you and then using that to make your vision with the thing that's in your head come out into the real world and best uh, represent what's in your head. And and the thing is, is that when you're working on all this stuff and you make a game or you make any sort of product, it will never be exactly the thing that was in your head. So you're mm-hmm. trying, and people who get really good at this are the ones who can take it and it's almost exact to what they had imagined. So basics of layout design, first off, is like looking at your two biggest resources. What is your vision? Like what's your passion? What's the thing that you really want to make? And then how much time and energy do you want to put on it? Those are the two major resources. There is a designer out of, I want to, I want to say it's Southeast Asia. Mamados, I think is uh, their name. And that, that, they, put, they actually uh, said that very recently on one of my Twitter threads. And I was just like, ah, damn it. That is, that is exactly right. Like Those are the things that matter most. Everything else after that is just application of those two things. Your time and your vision. And that is what's going to help you lead you in the path that you want to. So that's that's what layout is. That is the definition of what good layout is. It's incredibly nebulous, but it is essentially: Do you like it? It's great mm-hmm. then. That's it's good layout. <laughs> like if if you, if it's something that you enjoy, then uh, that's all that matters.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like this the notion of sort of this common clarity. Right, you were saying that there's no like true best way to do. No, any of these particular subjects, but with many different industries, not just visual design, but game design. And, you know, I come from a restaurant background. There are best practices that have shown to hold common clarity amongst a large amount of people. Right. It's about getting people on the same page to understand something. And there have certainly been proven ways of getting the most common clarity from the offset. Yeah. Yeah, no. The best practices, yes. Best best
2: way to do anything, or the the only way to do anything? No, that path lies madness. Do not do not listen to the person who says that because that, that is scary. But yeah.
0: So Clayton Clay may I call you Clay. Yeah, absolutely. Clay, how about we... I know you have an article about this, and that'll certainly be a link in the show notes too, but what are some basic terms or considerations when it comes to visual design? You know, we talk about font and margins and all that stuff.
2: Right, yeah. So... Let's see the things that you're going to hear me say. I'm going to say these words and they got they have to mean something. This
0: is this is probably unfair of me to ask because this is a very like visual thing to put out there. Yeah. So but it is you. it
2: is a noble endeavor and I will try. So <laughs> the we're gonna say layout a lot, as we've already got the definition of that. We're gonna talk about page or spread. A spread is when two pages come together to make a collected sort of like when you unfold the book and you look at it, the full two pages next to each other is the spread. We're going to talk about the grid, which is this incredibly contentious, but also amazing tool. It is essentially a a system for doing layout and design. The grid is an invisible sort of a network of columns and rows that you use to kind of break up your page or your canvas or your format, as it's called, and then you lay things out on that grid in a nice orderly fashion, or not. You get to do you could do whatever you want. It's called breaking the grid, which we may talk about <laughs> later as well. And then, so that's probably all the layout stuff I'm gonna say. And then, if I say anything that is, I haven't defined yet, you keep me honest, and I will try my my best. And then the other side is typography. Typography is sort of the study of how words, letters, glyphs look. That includes everything from fonts, which is like the individual manifestations of like things like, say, Times New Roman, Helvetica, Comic Sans. Uh, don't, don't use it, but it's a thing <laughs> that exists. Unless you want to. Again, there are there are actual genuine imp- implications or applications of comic Sans. and then yeah, and then after that w- we can get into like further detail. But there's all sorts of words that you don't need to know, and you can learn them as you come al- as you go along. Mm-hmm. But and I and I'm sure I'm going to drop one or two of them in this in this uh, conversation.
0: I I'm excited. So then you know we have what it is, but. Clay, why do we do it? Why does it matter? Why does good layout design matter?
2: A couple of reasons. The first one is, as I said before, like, the thing you have in your head is currently a convoluted mass of thoughts just uh, firing neurons, and that does not look good on a page. And, you, and more importantly, layout, what, what layout does, That what makes it really cool is that it takes really complex things and makes them really accessible to other people. If somebody were to just like read off the menu to you at say like a restaurant, that would not be nearly as valuable as just being given a slip of paper with them broken into sections of like dessert, dinner, entree, every so on. And so fundamentally layout, good layout, is the layout that conveys the message, the game, the rules, helps people learn the game and use the game's uh, sort of base manuscript the book in an effective way so that they don't have to worry about it. Like, at the end of the day, really good layout, and this is getting into opinion territory, but really good layout gets out of the way. You forget that you're looking at layout. Mm -hmm. It it really uh, takes that gap between the rules, the thing that the designer made, and the actual act of play and condenses it down into a sliver. So mm-hmm. that is why you use the grid. You use the grid fundamentally for communication to make the, to convey the message of the game. The other reason why you would use the grid or layout is if you're gonna collaborate with people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You, and uh, talking about that big resource, so we talked about vision, converting the, your, your vision into a thing that can be played with. The other one is time and good layout using the grid system allows you to get the thing that you want to design out onto a page faster than if you just sat there and like typed it up, put it onto a page, and then just started nudging it back and forth with the arrow keys until it felt right, quote unquote. <laughs> which you can do, and in fact, we can talk later on about people who have done that and they've won any for doing so. Mm-hmm. But, but ultimately, the more people get involved on the project, the harder that's going to be to do and the more again you're going to lose some of your sanity along the way it'll be a, a full hero's journey and sometimes you don't want to do that when you're laying out a zine you don't want to, you don't want the whole rise and fall of a hero's journey just while you're putting a bunch of words on a page
0: <laughs> i like inside of me uh, the new designer i'm like oh God, I'm never gonna be good at this. But that's just initial, no doubt, situations yeah. in my brain.
2: The, the worst part is that if you do get good at this, you'll you won't feel like you got good at. It. You'll still yeah. feel terrible. So, yeah, imposter syndrome finds us all, and the ones it does, <laughs> and the ones it doesn't find, you should not trust. Heard. <laughs> yeah, Heard. but other, but otherwise, yeah. No, I, again, I'm a student as well, so I'm constantly mm-hmm. looking at people's work, like like Johan and Nor. Who mm-hmm. works on Mothership? And I'm just like, oh my god, there's no way. I'm never gonna make that. I'm never gonna make anything like that. But I can yes. write about it.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can analyze the shit out of it. Let's let's connect this whole thing to why you're on the show here, Clay. When was like, what was like the first RPG you've ever played? What sort of sparked you to start writing about RPGs as a as a layout medium?
2: Yeah, the my. I think every time this question is asked, everyone always has some sort of like media touchstone—the thing that mm-hmm. revealed to them that RPGs existed, that the the playground make-believe thing can actually mm-hmm. exist as an adult. And uh, mine was not Dungeons and Dragons; it was Great. it was the depiction of Dungeons and Dragons. So. I think the year was 1998. We were we were living in the middle of nowhere Ohio, which uh, you're from Cleveland, so yeah. maybe, maybe you know a little bit of this, but imagine. Yeah, I'm
0: Ashabila, dude. Yeah,
2: imagine just uh wind-snow swept fields. That's where I grew up. The ground is mm-hmm. frozen for about 7 months. And yep. beamed onto my television when I was a kid was a little cartoon made by a bunch of Gen Xers who played Dungeons and Dragons when they were teenagers. And that cartoon was called Dexter's Laboratory.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And there is an episode of Dexter's Laboratory that came out in, I think, 1998 or around that time that was Dexter, this the little boy genius from the show, is running a game of Dungeons and & Dragons. And I did not – when I saw it, first off, it blew my mind because I was like, that's cool. Like this – he's rolling dice and then suddenly like <sighs> we're cutting to like knights walking through woods. But, the, but the, I didn't take the thing I was supposed to learn from it, which was like, oh, this is a real thing. No, what I thought was, when I first saw it, I was like, wow, I wish that was real. <laughs> because, because and this is the thing that I think a lot of historians, you can read it from like playing at the world. But like from the mid-80s, once D&D had its heyday, it basically dropped off the face of the, mm-hmm. the earth. Mm-hmm. Like In the 80s, it got really big because of like all this different stuff. And then the satanic panic happened. And, but people were obsessed with D&D, so it only gave them free advertising. Mm-hmm. But then once TSR started to go under, and they couldn't keep themselves afloat financially, the momentum of the game had more or less disappeared. But things like Satanic Panic remained. So by the time the 90s got around, in a middle-of-nowhere Ohio town full of a bunch of uh, religious white people,
0: mm.
2: it was... The idea that D and D even existed was erased. It was nobody talked about, it. and the Gen Xers who made all these cartoons never explicitly said D and D because that would get their show banned. So they'd make allusions to it. So I went for several years of my life like wanting that game to exist, and I would see versions of it like in SpongeBob or something where they would mm-hmm. they would show them playing D and D, and and so I went the wrong way. I, as a kid, I was like, I'm going to make this game. <laughs> And so I took cardboard and like, I I knew that the 20, I didn't know it was 20 sides, but I knew it had a lot of sides. So I made fake dice and I would take styrofoam and make maps. And then like, I was cobbling together things I knew. So what I ended up making when I was like a kid, like, you know, we're talking like nine, 10, 12, like all those years, I'm sitting there cobbling together like the mechanics of like Mario Party and Legend of Zelda and Clue. And all these other like random thoughts into the, this, this, these terrible games, absolutely <laughs> really bad, terrible games. But like I, all I had was Monopoly, Clue and like video games to like guide me. And then one day, this story is going on long. One I'll day, one day I am, uh, I'm, I'm grown up. I, I now have a car I can drive and I'm at a garage sale with my family because I have, you, when you're, you're a kid, you still have to be carted around everywhere even if you have a car. and I'm looking at a bunch of books in like a box and I see this real spooky looking like thing that my grandmother, my Catholic grandmother, my German Catholic grandmother would absolutely burn if she could find it. it was a red demon holding a like scantily clad woman Kind mm-hmm. of problematic for the time and, but like a wizard and a knight fighting it it's problematic now. And it was the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Dungeon Master's Guide. Just sitting there in a box looking up at me. And I was like, what is that? And, I, and so I reached out and I grabbed it. And it was like a dime. So I threw the dime. But like I had my family with me. So it's like I'm not going to let them see this thing. This is this is sacrilegious. This looks like the Revelations printed into a comic book. Like I, they can't see <laughs> this and like me just have it, right? So I bought another book there and then I wedged this dungeon master's guide into the binding and like closed it like like broke the spine of the other book making it into a binder right <laughs> and then i got home and i read it and i i and that was when i realized i was like oh my god can, can we curse on this yes yeah it's like holy shit it's a fucking real game and i was like the dungeons and, this is it's called dungeons and dragons and it's real and the worst part was I still didn't think I could play the game because one, the Dungeon Master's Guide made by Gary Gygax is obscure nonsense. It is just, (laughs) it is like, I love, don't get me wrong. Like I love D&D and I have great uh, affinity for the past and it was my first system. But you can't learn anything about that game from the Dungeon Master's Guide. It's just gobbledygook. It's it's the ramblings of an insane Wisconsin man. And so, and so I'm sitting here, thinking to myself that D- that I missed the boat, that the the thing I wanted to play happened, went extinct, and that it never existed after that. And it actually took a couple more years in, in high school before I saw D and D three E staring back at me at a, like a a bookstore that's now long since gone bankrupt. But that was my first introduction to. RPGs, and then uh, so my first experience with D and D was like straight up like imagining that if it were re- if it were real, <laughs> and then you know trying to redesign it from scratch, like reverse engineer it, and like mm-hmm. t- let me tell you something: when I got the Dungeon Master's Guide for the se- for that Advanced D and D, that only threw gas on a very dangerous flame of trying to figure out how to make <laughs> D and thing, because like again, it's gobbledygook. There's no way that I- you could make a sensible game out of the rules that are there. There. Even Gygax did not play the game he designed. You know, like that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, it was just like looking at that thing. It was it was wild. And yeah, I mean, after a while, like, and then once I got the D D books, like, I for third edition, I held on to them. I couldn't find anyone to play with because I'm living in rural no, nowhere, mm-hmm. Ohio. But I wanted to play them. I had an adventure like already written up. I had character sheets already made. I just and I and I kept it in my car in the trunk of my car. Just in case I'd run across somebody, and then one day, a couple of my f- like extended friends of friends were like, "Wouldn't it be funny if we did something really nerdy this tonight?" And I was like, "Yeah, like if we play Dungeons and Dragons, obviously." Like I'm like, yeah. throwing something. Yeah, unlike.
0: Dungeons and Dragons, everyone. Yeah, we could we
2: could totally play Dungeons and Dragons if <laughs> if, if that's a thing. <laughs> you know, nervous laughter. <laughs> And they were like, yeah, that'd be cool. And then I was like, one second. And then I gave up, up my cover. I, I pulled these books <laughs> out. And like it was clear that like I I was no I was just as wild and obsessed as as that, you know, like there's no secret to it. But they they fell in love with it. And then I I've been playing RPGs and ever since. I've I played this. I I went to college and got involved in a weird, really nerdy fraternity that wasn't really a fraternity. And I played Call of Cthulhu, Tunnels and Trolls, Shadowrun, like fifth edition or something. Now, honestly, that, game, that system was a real blur. But like Fate, <laughs> all those games, you know, just like I, I, I fell, I didn't fall into it. It was the Holy Grail. I found the Holy Grail and then I got drunk off its contents. So that that's my experience with RPGs. And then like, you know, I, get, I go on living my life, getting really good at a bunch of other stuff. And then I, you know, return to D&D and stuff, and I'm like, I start playing the indie games, and I was like, man, these are really good, but, like, they're kind of betraying themselves with the way that they're laid out. Like, Mm -hmm. these games are better than their actual, like, manifestation is Mm -hmm. as a physical product. And then, you know, as time went on, I got more and more into it, and here we are. Like, I'm tweeting nonsense on Twitter in, like, 15 tweet-long threads, and I get to talk to people like you about it.
0: You want to talk about a hero's journey? I just heard the whole thing. It's, I just it's, saw every.
2: It's way too no. long, and I apologize to the view <laughs> no. for the listeners for that. But, but I'm sure I'm sure someone else has been like like again. I cannot stress enough that like I like this this game so much. I was so obsessed with the idea that like imagine like this little like you know straw haired kid sitting in a pew in a, in a Catholic church. You know, just underneath statues of a bleeding Jesus, and I'm sitting there looking at like beholder drawings <laughs> on like a piece of paper, trying to see if I can reverse engineer it. Yeah, it was it was it was really weird. Childhood was strange, but that but they all are. So that it worked out just fine.
0: Fucking amazing. Yeah, Clay, just amazing. I love it. It it might be, <laughs> I can't believe like just for it to be the imagination of the game. Is the fruition that drove you to play RPGs? Like you, for you, you invented RPGs. What, that's what you really did. You know what I mean?
2: Well, yeah. When I was a little kid, I was like thinking, like I I made this terrible thing. And it's still terrible. And I was like, I was feeling pretty accomplished. I was like, I had made something out of nothing. And and then of course, then I see the game. Like I finally have seen the real games, and I'm just like, oh wow, this is cool. Like this is Aww. this is a lifetime hobby. This is going to be. And I think that's one of the cool things about, you know, the industry and the hobby that we're in is like, I don't, I can, I can grow really old and still become an elf or like, you know, yeah d- you know, tell these stories. Like uh, I've been looking at a lot more games from like the brain trust and it's like, and, and which only expands sort of the, the viewfinder to even more stuff. Cause now it's like, Oh, it, it doesn't have to be just about elf games and the dragon game, which is different than chris's best-selling the dragon game yes uh yes. but christmas uh, set, everyone christmas yeah, set yeah christmas set the dragon game that's that's what i mean now when i say the dragon game but yeah no there's just so many different options out there so many different kinds of stories you can play and it's all really
0: incredible wow thank you for taking me on that journey thank you for taking all of us on that journey <laughs>
2: Well, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's similar to a lot of other journeys. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's just a looking in a mirror for a bit.
0: I don't know if someone invented the concept of RPGs for themselves. I mean, we can get into the delineation of imagination yeah. and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. bringing this boat back onto the topic of layouts and things and your connection to them. So like I said earlier in the show, and Clay has mentioned a couple of times, you sort of make Twitter blogs for uh, maybe yeah. a lesser name of them or a less refined term for them about examining different games and kind of you giving your opinion/facts on why these layouts are good, bad, what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong or or excuse me maybe not not good and bad or right and wrong, but really like what's being detractive from the design or what's being a boon to the design, right? So mm. you said you started. We were talking a little bit off air. You started that about a year ago. What drove you to start doing that?
2: So the thing is, like, I I I originally did the thing that writers are supposed to do, which is write in
0: blogs. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, one second. Do you have an amazing blog? Yeah, it, it's it's not
2: it's not bad. It's good. But the problem is, is that you write like these really. I, I wrote these things that I, I mean, I poured my soul into them because I, I would love, I'd fall in love with a game that I saw, or I'd see a vision of something that someone had and saw them like make it. And I was like, oh my God, people need to know about this. Like the concept is so good, the execution so good, the, or the little thing about that, the promise, that little flicker, the moat of something interesting, something new was in these games. So I would write these really long winded like reviews about them and they would be really in depth and they'd have different chapters and things like that and nobody would read them because unless you have written, you know, hundreds of them or, you know, have like a blog that like also provides a lot of other things people aren't going to find it. So then I, you know, about a year ago, no, it was it was like almost exactly a year ago, maybe a little bit more. I I decided I was going to write a article about how to do layout because that was something that I was really passionate about. Write so many books about it. I had seen some other really amazing people in the industry write blogs about it to some extent. Like uh, Die uh, Sugars from like the Demon Collective, uh, GMDK is one of those people who oh. like just absolutely like the, They got a, a series about like how to make RPGs for like nothing a year, like with mm-hmm. no. No uh, budget whatsoever. And I saw that and I was like, oh my God, that is that is a service to the industry. And then I saw like David Sheridan also making things like that, where he called it like sloppy jalopy design, where it's like making these things that were really esoteric and suddenly making them accessible. And I was like, I'm gonna, I can make something like that. I'm gonna make something about specifically just the grid, which is this thing I was really passionate and frankly still am passionate about. And I made it and I was like, you know what, I should probably, you know, break this up, like, talk about it in a couple tweets. And the Twitter thread, long story short, does a lot better, performs a lot better than the actual article. Like, a lot of people still mm-hmm. go to that article. It's probably the only, like, really, truly, like, standing thing I've done yet. Mm-hmm. But the that's when I realized I was like, oh, I can just go on long tangents waxing poetic about a thing and tweet threads. And even though they're not intuitive, everything about that UI of like looking at a tweet thread is so awful. But, mm-hmm. but because all it takes is you swiping your thumb up to see them. I was getting more people to see these games and share their love in them. Just like I love them. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is the way I'm going to do it. I am going to just find these games, talk about them and, See what if other people have the same like love or obsession of them as I do
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And it's been really fun. It's been really great and like you said you said a really interesting thing about like finding out like what works really well in them and like What maybe doesn't work so well in them and I think Mm -hmm. the the, This is like getting into like a larger conversation about being a critic in the space of tabletop RPGs Mm -hmm. like the first thing Is that uh, it's a lot easier to be a critic of RPGs if you're not making them. Mm -hmm. Which is like a privilege, that is a point of privilege and like strength that I, a position that I can work within. Because I don't have any ambitions currently of making an RPG. So I don't have to be, uh, I feel a little bit more emboldened to speak my mind and be really honest about a Mm -hmm. thing. The second thing though is like, At the end of the day, we're all a bunch of small people just trying to make our thing and, like, Mm. be happy and stuff like that. And so I have this really, like, I never want to punch down on a thing. Like, it's just, first off, there are thousands of games out there, hundreds being made, possibly a month all Mm -hmm. the time. That There's no reason to do that when I could just be lifting up something else that's already out there. Just ignore the thing, go on and do the other thing. The only... Games that I punch down on, ironically enough, is D and little bit, mm-hmm. and it's never about the writing or the designers, the people. Like first off, it's everything I do is never about the people. It's always about the thing that they make, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the the object that uh, they made. And uh, I usually grade it on: Does it do the thing that they say it does? Does it is it the has it been executed to the vision that I think they had? Does it reach? the peak of its potential, right? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what I normally do. But sometimes I get kind of mean or at least a little bit more critical, less fuzzy, <laughs> so mm-hmm. to speak, when I talk about D&D products, because oftentimes I'm not really, the thing that upsets me about D&D products is not the designers who are all really talented writers and passionate people, just like any other part of this industry, but the, the part that actually bothers me is oftentimes like the way the system, the workflow. Changes mm. those creators' works into something else because D and D is a brand first and a game company second, and and, and it's a huge it's a it's a huge endeavor in a way that even uh, these indie games aren't, and so oftentimes people's uh, work has to like kind of go down the assembly line and be yeah be filed down into the into a thing that fits. Yeah, with the Pantheon, even in the DMs Guild, where it can sometimes be sort of lauded as a virtue to be filed away and be made into this sort of easily compartmentalized thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So that was a long, tangent. <laughs> but <laughs> long d- tangent, but at the end of the day, it's like what what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, I, I talk about RPGs a lot and it's, it's one of those things that I really like doing and I... It's made me really, real. It's given me a real sense of satisfaction in the last few months, especially as I've gotten more into like reviewing products in tweet mm-hmm. threads rather than just doing like resources or conversations about layout.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And both of those are great. What I what I want to point out is that when I when I mentioned we talk about sort of being critical of the object or the designs, it's beneficial to to most extent because to learn what is feeling bloated to something where breaking the grid wasn't helpful here, to something where Mm -hmm. this typography choice is hiding this really great artwork or something that affect, right? Like all those things are useful pieces of knowledge. And at the end of the day, creating a game is creating an art form realistically it's something when you talk about what is a functional object and what is a creative object you know paintings and statues and games and films and music are so hard to put monetary value to Mm -hmm. that that speaks true across the board because it serves no specific function i don't mean to say that that it's like not useful but just like you you know how much an apple is going to be, give or take, because you know what its function is. To eat it is to survive. You know how much a house is relatively going to be worth in your area due to like its location and its functionality to you living. Yeah. But when it comes to something that solicits entertainment or philosophy, whether that be written word or visual design, it is hard to assess like how is that valuable to me where it might be a different value to you. Right, so Mm -hmm. when we talk about those criticisms and reviewing those sorts of products, I think one, I I love how you sort of attacked talking about like that. It's a privilege to be an outside source that hasn't really delved into game design in like in a in an expertise sort of way. So you have sort of this unbent lens, but also it's it's from a consumer perspective. When sometimes we as designers can just make something that is, that we're really passionate about that we think is great, but then we put it out there and sort of get disheartened about how the consumer takes it. And I think what I'm ultimately trying to point to with this long roundabout is that, you know, knowing that we're creating an art object should give us some form of armor against those sorts of criticisms because at the end of the day we have to realize that it's very subjective whether or not d and d is good whether or not or excuse me when i say good i mean like that it's a fun game for you to play right or we're yeah. reversed on to me whether i say like d and d is a fun game to play right i'm re i just started reading fourth edition today due to some recommendations and you know i'm kind of jiving with how they constructed combat in there whereas like d and d 5e i'm like i Really dislike D&D 5th edition combat and like just the, the difference between the two or at least how they're approach is really like Night and day for me
2: Yeah, this so this is actually an interesting conversation because it's it's it has to do with my my day job my so my day job and This is not something I, I'm especially proud of is I, I work as a copywriter and verbal designer in Advertising I work for the for the bad guys
0: Mm-hmm.
2: of society like like most of us all of us are in some fashion are probably working in a system we don't entirely enjoy and the f- fifth edition what is really interesting about it and we'll, we won't make this into a dungeons and dragons podcast episode because that <laughs> yeah, would just
0: a D dunk
2: <laughs> but but the thing that's interesting about fifth edition is that it was the first edition where the sort of hierarchy of Wizards of the Coast and the designers, the ones who really spearheaded its design, were like, we want to make a thing that looks, feels and smells like D&D mm-hmm. because they tried to do the opposite thing of like, let's take the thing that we know and try and make it play better. They, they, the, one, the, 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 the version of D&D that focuses on mechanics and takes the idea that the mechanics decide what the game is about is fourth edition. That is mm-hmm. fourth edition is the better designed game, if if we're talking from just the pure like mechanics being uh, retooled to do the thing that they do really really well. If you think of D and D as being a combat game where the rules have to apply to making good combat, then fourth edition is the best edition of D and D that has ever been. Mm-hmm. But if you but if you think of D and D as something else, and this is the thing that's really interesting about D and D and why it gets back to my day job is that. D&D is a game, but it's also a a brand, a cult, a, a play culture and a concept mm-hmm. that people have an ex, a relationship to. And those two weirdly enough are not the same thing. They're not congruent to each other. Like a lot of people look at D&D and they're like, "Oh yeah, D&D is about, you know, playing really fun and exciting characters and going on Fat, big, massive, sort of Lord of the Rings style adventures, which D and D does do that, and it's about fast and daring, perilous combat. And it's like, well, that's not D and D fifth edition. It's like, and, yeah. and it's like you could play anybody. and It's like, well, that's also not true about D and D. Like, you can play anybody, but they're not all of them are going to have mechanics that are going to make them fit in the world in a way that is incredibly impactful. Mm-hmm. And that just goes to show you of like what the power of a of a brand of a, a sort of this uh, brand affinity can be because D&D 5th mm-hmm. Edition is simultaneously the game that uh, is most unlike what it says it is while sim- mm-hmm. simultaneously being the most popular version of the game ever. Like, mm-hmm. you'll hear some people say that, like, the version of D&D that was around basic D&D in, like, the late 70s, early 80s, 80s was the biggest version of D&D, and that's not true. It was the one that had the most fanfare because television was the only media source and they were talking about it but dnd fifth edition now as we have come to realize looking at the news and stuff wizards of the coast is the money maker for hasbro hasbro is a dungeons and dragons magic the gathering company who makes mr <laughs> potato head like that that is that is who they yeah. are <laughs> or the potato head family i should say So it's just like, it's just wild, but yeah, no. So you've been reading a fourth edition. That's cool, it's good. My favorite bit about fourth edition is two things. One of them is about design, like visual Mm -hmm. design. And the Mm -hmm. second one is about design intent. The first one, visual design, is that I don't think there has ever been a more dynamic illustration, like art art design, art direction since fourth edition. Mm. Fourth edition employed a thing called the Dutch angle a lot, which is this Dutch angles in filmography. Uh, Dutch angles in filmography are this filming where like this, it, they're filmed at like crazy slants and at weird perspectives and angles to kind of give like a sort of like energy to this the page. So you look at things like in uh, Fourth Edition, and it's always like a shot over the shoulder of like a guy who's currently like punching into someone else in a bar fight, or it's like a shot from like the feet looking at an angle up through like this crazy huge scale of like a castle with all these that fifth edition has some of that, but it is, it's more of a fixed camera, mm-hmm. you know? So like, and I think that design that art, that art direction of fourth edition, though, I don't like the sort of a uh, manifestation of some of the visual like character design.
0: Mm hmm.
2: The framing is amazing. It is so cool. It's so full of energy. It's so high-flung action and adventure, which is what d and is supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is uh, D&D 4th uh, Edition was the one that was like, we're really going to try and teach Dungeon Masters how to run this game. Our Dungeon mm-hmm. Our dungeon Master guide is not going to be a descendant of Gary Gygax. give-them-tables design.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Which I'm not saying tables aren't good. The OSR has clearly proven that, like, you can make amazing tables. But that's not what d and making, right? They're making something a little bit more uh, germane or pragmatic than, you know, these entries where every single thing in the table will completely change the campaign if, it, if you roll the number.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: fourth edition is the first one that had, like, this is how you run a game. Here's the different ways you could run a game. This is the kinds of players, theoretically, archetypal players that you could have, and I mm-hmm. and I always thought that that was really, really cool. Really, like that was the thing that I think we, I think most of us have always wanted from Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Yeah, there was when I, you know, was talking to Brain Trust and Fourth Edition got brought up. So before before that conversation, one of my biggest kind of constant complaints about D 5e is the dungeon master's guide for fifth edition is not help you dungeon master in the slightest it does not it does not help you like run a game it helps you build a setting but it doesn't help you run a game which is kind of a fallacy for the book but a lot of people were and there are many in the brain trust who feel similarly about D as sort of how they feel about the game but a lot of them like admitted or conceded to the fact that fourth edition the dungeon the second dungeon master's guide was really good like it it had a lot of helpful advice for dungeon masters and provided a lot of tools for running the game yeah and so it's been a really interesting read and learning about the the dutch angle like the art direction terms because my other sort of internal hobbies i i watch a youtube channel called studio binder a ton and they're recently doing a series about film shots and i'm learning so much about because when i gm or dm i i use a lot of like cinematography terms to describe like how to establish scenes and because people a lot of the modern touch points are film and tv right not so much books, so it's not it doesn't have to be as prosy as you know the dungeon master's guide would have you believe and so I love learning that like, that is an approach, like t- when you say it, w- when you said it out loud, like Dutch angle and fourth edition and kind of a fixed frame composition for fifth edition, it was like, it was like, he's right. He's absolutely correct.
2: <laughs> well, well it, it helps that in my day job, I work with really talented art directors where their entire job, that they, they are total nerds for like how to frame photos and film and everything else. They... They talk at length about, you know, sort of like German expressionism. And I'm just like, cool, you know, (laughs) it's sick. I can't wait to write about that. (laughs) And then I, and then I do, (laughs) right. Like at the end of the day, everything I write about is probably something that I've learned from one of my friends or colleagues or someone who's way more talented than me. And I'm just trying my best to like, take what they say and make it accessible for myself and other people.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. But, and yeah. I think what's nice about pointing this out as well is that art direction is also a piece of the visual design of a published mm-hmm. product, right? Whether that be digital or physical, yeah. because you're trying to evoke a certain emotion, tone, narrative effect, right? So when you talk about how fourth edition is very action jam packed, and then uh, fifth edition is kind of like landscapey as far as like a shot is concerned, right?
2: It's very picturesque.
0: Yeah. 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 That has that has ramifications good or for good or for ill for your design. Right. Because if you're trying to do like a cyberpunk sci fi, you might do like a lot of dark, like close in shots of your noir character or whatever Mm -hmm. have you. And that matters. That sends an image like this game is like this before I even play it. Right. You're already sort of playing before you engage in play. This
2: this is a big thing, and I, and I say this, I, I'm trying to say this more and more.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites.
2: Visual design is game design. Mm -hmm. Layout is game design. Art direction is game design. Design typography is game design. All these things are game design because they impact the way people perceive, and digest, and then manifest the game. So yeah, like, I'm curious how much of like, for instance, like, fourth edition. And how people perceived it was, and how they played it was impacted just by the art alone. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at, and let's take it away from D D, right? Let's let's go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. If you yeah, yeah, segue. If 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 I grabbed a copy of Warhammer Fantasy and sat down at the table and said, "We're gonna play this game," and I never opened the book,
1: mm-hmm.
2: never did it. Just I just played off a bunch of rules like they were super generic, or maybe I I didn't play those rules at all i played a completely different game with the rules but i told them that we were playing that game i'm almost certain that muscle loaded jock character on the cover is going to have some sort of impact on how they play the game and that's Mm -hmm. game design right like the thing that that gets received by the the audience the player and then influences or changes the way that they play the game is a part of the design and i think this is the thing that and this is probably the biggest reason why I think anyone should want to be into this stuff Because like there's a lot of conversations about like what don't why should you like a lot of people who on the twitter discourse Who will say like this is not an important part of uh game design if you think about this <laughs> then you're going to be missing the point The more you know about design the more you're going to enjoy your games
0: mm-hmm.
2: in the same way that like and and I, I know you and a lot of your guests already have been really strong advocates for this, but like reading the book is playing the game, mm-hmm. especially in different versions of uh game. Like lyric games are like famous for this. But if you know a lot about design or even just a little bit about design, you there's more on the page than you realize. Like you start to see things. Like uh, to talk about cyberpunk, there's a really amazing designer called uh, Emmanuel and they made a game called Cyberpunk that's like abbreviated and they did, instead of showing people I mean they got they got some depictions of people on it. they mimicked this the interface of like electronics mm. and the the UI it looks like wireframes of like a UI and that is the visual design of Cyberpunk and it gives this game this really frenetic uh, energy that Pictures alone do not do. Instead of seeing, like, if you see characters, you try you immediately start to put yourself in the body of those characters that you see on the page, which is why representation is so important.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But when you don't have the characters, you just kind of leave those out. And instead, you are using typography and line work and sort of this filigree. A filigree is, like, just random, cool visuals and, like, margins and stuff like that. Oftentimes, like, if you look at, like, a manuscript that's got, like, ivy drawn on it that's filigree Mm. that is the the definition of like filigree but that kind of stuff (laughs) it's the definition right but yeah the uh that kind of stuff really conveys a lot and like i when i read that game and i i made a review of it people can find on twitter or you can just go buy the game Mm. you should just buy it the i think american dollar is worth like six dollars in brazil so buy three of them and 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 do the lord's work but wow But yeah, it's such a great game, you know, like, and again, it's all about that design because that art direction is part of the game design. It is game design.
0: Trends is always really an important topic for both the present and the future of game design, Clay. And so what are A... Some trends that you're seeing in game design or sort of maybe even like global trends for like magazines or commercials or or commercials. I don't know where that came from. Magazines or games or even other like websites. Where are some trends that you're seeing that have been really powerful in the current era and then what are maybe some trends that you want to maybe speak into the air or into the ether that yeah. you would like to see uh, more? Me manifest
2: something, through. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyone who has even listened to like 30 minutes of your podcast or has even looked at the, into the abyss that is Twitter, they probably have already noticed that one of the biggest trends – about RPGs has been usability and like maximum maximum sort of like the opposite of minimalism maximalism we'll call it maximalism that okay. those have been point here uh, those have been the ultimate you know sort of trends that have arisen and taken over gaming and become like the predominant thing that isn't just say that there aren't other stuff out there because there', there, we're, there there's so many things. And so like Mm -hmm. a trend does not mean that it's the only thing that's happening. But I think in the last five or so years with personalities, like the questing beast talking about OSR and like use and like usability at the table has really pushed a sort of has really put the thumb on the scale about what a lot of people are into now Mm because, because you know, he's, he's just, he's really shown off like some of these RPGs. And given them like an entire a huge following just by talking about, but then the and the game that I think about the most that I think has had a huge impact and the person who has irreversibly changed RPGs I think for the better is uh, Sean McCoy of Tuesday Night Games who made Mothership. I, I'm sure many people will know about Mothership. It's not the first game to fill the page from margin to margin with all these modules of data and like tools and everything else. Every page has got about four pages worth of stuff on a single page. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: And the craziest thing, and we're going to go back to the thing is like that. I said at the top of this, but it's like, you know, you know how you said, like, is there the right way to do it or is there a reason to use the grid? Mm-hmm. Th- that was a question, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I, I advocate for the grid. But I know for a fact that Mothership was not made with the grid and it's Mm -hmm. and it's the best layout of that year that came out and it remains One of the best layouts all of its uh, products that have come after it have been in the top like 10 things made that year every single time They've come out and Mm -hmm. that is purely because Sean McCoy is a mad person who? (laughs) has devoted all their blood sweat and tears into moving these things just perfectly so, so that they fit on the page. Now I know the new edition of Mothership is going to start using the grid a little bit more just because the sheer scale, again, going back to it, the the grid is scalable, it it, it makes things easier. And as they get more Tuesday Night Games, as they get more collaborators, bigger projects with bigger print runs or anything else, they're gonna want to use some tools. And so I think they're gonna end up using more of the grid. But anyway, point being, going back to trends, maximalized layouts with tons of stuff on it so that there's not a wasted uh, bit of space that isn't filled with something has been the biggest thing that's gone up. To so this point, uh, we've started seeing the breaking of the grid and probably the most famous thing we, that's out right now, mother, or not Mothership, Morkborg, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which
2: is a really interesting thing because I'm, if you look at Morkboard. And you want to replicate its style, you might think that you you can pull it off, but and and the answer is you probably can to a passable degree, but that that is one of the hardest projects to create. Like Morkborg is pulling off so many subtle design tricks, and like there's a real sense of like conception of how the page should be designed. Like there's there's a lot, like a lot of weird rules about game design and like or sorry, a visual design that we can get into like the golden ratio, which is like this mm-hmm. thing from like Da Vinci days.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: it's all incre- I love it. it's all incredibly esoteric magic. You yeah. know, that's just like locked away in like vaults, but but like but the the uh this the the Stockholm cartel and all the things that they make are using those things heavily. And it, and like these designers are making products for like major cor- corporations and companies and like institutions and they have these really great sort of like educations and they're leveraging it hard in these products and so like I see more, more things things I'm just like wow that is good and then I'll see like a third party thing and I'll be like that's good but it's it's not quite there because it because this is like this is not an easy design this is a it, it is a lot of style but it's style deployed in a way that is very sophisticated So I think right now we are currently riding the the trend wave of seeing a lot more Morkborg stuff of Mm -hmm. sort of these, every layout is really sort of rich in visuals and the grid feels as though it's being broken quite a bit. Breaking the grid, by the way, another definition here, is when you got all those squares, those invisible little lines on the page, and you don't make them necessarily fit in the squares anymore. You start to break out you break the rules but you do, but you knowingly do so so that's the big trend that i'm seeing is like the max we're, we're coming off of it but the the maximalization of the page this emphasis on sort of like usability i think things like lyrical games are a, the counterculture to those things while you know some other games like Traditional games kind of go off on their own thing where they don't change. Traditional, yeah. One traditional. One could say <laughs> traditional. I, I don't necessarily like that that name because it's first off because I, I usually teach people who've never played an RPG how to play RPGs for fun. Like I think watching someone who doesn't even know what D D is try and play D D is mm-hmm. fascinating. It is an amazing experience that I recommend to everyone. Partly because if you if you're teaching RPGs like that to people. You get to have the best thing in the world, which is the moment when you see on their faces that they realize they can do anything. Oh, you know that—that that is such a like the little unlock moment in their heads, and like every, it makes it makes forty-year-old men into children.
0: Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. But yeah, so that's the those are the trends, right? Here's what what I think is going to come along the way. We're going to see a lot more white space. We're going to mm. see a return to white space, which definition again white space is the is the part of the page where it doesn't have anything on it and <laughs> maybe it has a texture but there's no there's no picture there's no type there's no words some words and types sometimes are called copy mm-hmm. but there's nothing on and that white space sort of creates a sort of shape to the the content that's on the page that can be you know sort of appealing to look at i think we're going to see a lot more white space partly because i think we're we're gonna to start to look at this, these designs, these Morkbork designs, and they're really, really expensive to replicate. And I think people are going to start pushing back on the idea that RPG should have to be an expensive endeavor to be for creators.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Also, I think people, some people, are just exhausted by it. I, I love white space, so I'm excited to see it come back.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: white space is also really good for accessibility. It, it's not just because screen readers can't see any of that art anyway, but also because some people, you know, they, whether they ha- they're on the spectrum like myself or have other sort of neurodivergent, you know, lived experiences, having a lot of art can sometimes be too much. It can be sensory overload. So I think we're going to see some more white space. And then I think, and this one's completely out of left field, I think we're just going to see a bunch of like really cute, like, illustrations for like like we're talking like lots of big products with like cute illustrations and lots of uh return to sort of like drop caps with like lots of ivy and like illuminated manuscript stuff and i honestly i couldn't tell you jeremy why why i think that but i i just the thing is, is like we've been in this like space where we're either looking at like like, this sort of uh, sterilized or, like, really crisp and shiny fantasy. Mm. Or we're looking at games that aren't set in that setting at all. Mm. But I think we're going to start seeing, like, a lot more, like, red wall, like, art. Like, uh, like wa- like Wander Home. Or we're going to see uh, more, like, ornate gothic stuff, like, baroque things. Or so I think we're going to see white the return of white space to the forefront. And I think we're also going to see a lot of stuff that's, like, Looking back at like illuminated manuscripts from like old Abbey monks and stuff and that mm-hmm. that's just gonna show up in a bunch of games soon that that is my guess I Do not know <laughs> <laughs> I, I am hoping that to some extent because I, I, I first off I just love those things but another a more scientific way to do this to assume what might come is to look at what the world of design is doing currently outside of gaming And making this sort of a base assumption that gaming might start to recycle some of that, like pull Mm -hmm. it into the gaming world. And if we look at that, then I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of minimalism. I think we're going to see a lot of like flat graphic design, like Mm -hmm. big, like chunky sort of like vector sort of images. Uh, Vector images are the opposite of paint strokes. It's like made with like computers and like math. And it's, it's the style of like tech. Right is like flat vector graphics, but uh, I think we're going to see a lot of like real bright, popping stuff too, probably of some kind. Some sort of intense, sort of minimalism going on. Partly because it's always it's always good if you're going to be on the horse race game of betting what is going to come next. Whatever is the opposite of what's happening now is going to happen. (laughs) You know, like so. Mm -hmm. If we if we started doing like big like blocky colors with, like, very little texture and, you know, sort of these flat images, that would be the exact opposite of Morkborg. So it's probably a good bet to put some stock in that and assume that that might happen.
0: It's, uh, that's, that's good noise for me because, one, I am a big fan of minimalistic design, first off. That's, like, something that I just resonate with for whatever reason. Like, I don't like a lot of stuff in my house, and I don't like a lot of stuff that I'm looking at at one time. I want direct information. Yeah. And for two things that, that I kind of want to bring up in this conversation is that one, me and Spencer Campbell are talking about kind of live tabletop RPGs, and what we mean by that is taking from the MMO RPG video game space and creating, mm. Dungeons & Dragons also sort of does this, but creating a space where you have a core set of rules And then every so often, you take a new expansion and you just kind of redo those core rules. And you never and we're talking about like never going to print with this stuff. Oh yeah, it's like a lives.
2: Yeah, it's it's a living document. It's like errata, like and that's the core product. It's just the errata. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
0: And and like you would do patch updates and hot fixes. Like you get constant iteration feedback, and then decide like, okay, Mm -hmm. we're getting a lot of people that don't like the ranger so let's you know let's spend this next month kind of trying to figure out a patch a patch fix for that or whatever and try to see if we can find a happy middle ground for us and for them and so part of that discussion is and why i bring it here is that thinking about how to design specifically for tablets for phones for websites right because you have to kind of create a digital ecosystem for that sort of stuff and for me like this would be like 2019 slash 2020 web design trends that I follow. But a lot of it is like clean, maybe like dual colored spaces, yeah. at least for my information. Like I like that stuff. I vibe with it. And so, you know, for me, it's it's good to hear that someone else is like, yeah, there's a good... Because I agree with you. We've been seeing a lot like Adam Adam Vass makes amazing, amazingly designed products. And yeah. both Necrolodilus and Aether Operatives are, I think, fit within that maximalization, as you put yeah. it, sort of frame design, right? Maybe not using every inch of the page, but the, the splashes and spreads for everything is just... Uh, eye candy, yeah. essentially. Well, you know A- what?
2: I mean? Adam Bass is this uh, really talented illustrator and graphic designer. And so you just look at the work and you're like, oh, they're just flexing. It's nothing but flexing. Yeah. Just all this yeah. Like, I think I, 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 I wrote some notes on Babes in the Wood, which everyone should buy when it comes out because it's, it's over the garden wall, the RPG. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And I put in my notes uh, like about like my feedback where I was like, the color is so good and I'm terrible at color. I don't know why, but like mm-hmm. color theory just I, I don't I don't understand. So I just I I, so I wrote on the pages like damn you Adam Vass <laughs> <I> just like, <laughs> but like but yeah, no uh, all that stuff like uh, the, and here's the thing too of why maybe minimalist things are gonna go, come along because a lot of people are saying or, or want to make the next big thing that will take off for actual plays on Twitch mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people are talking about accessibility and wanting to make things that are can be played on your phone or your tablet and the thing is is that right now it is incredibly difficult to translate product a singular product into all those different forms mm-hmm. it's really difficult it you basically have to redesign the product multiple times for those different sort of destinations. There's some people mm-hmm. who, you know, they, they're they really good and they can do it, but it is really difficult, especially if the game is like incredibly intricate or has like a lot of illustration because illustration doesn't work the same for every format that you put it on. Like if you get it more probably just as well, or, you know, like you've seen it. There's, there's some products where it's like, oh, this art looks really good when it's in a book but it doesn't look as Mm -hmm. good on a phone. And and there's some art that looks really good on a phone, but it won't look good in a book. Yep. And I think people, in order to, some people are going to want to try and chase that. They're going to go hunting for the Holy Grail. They're going to try and find a way to make the game that perfectly translates for like a Twitch screen or for people's phones. And They're going to find the path of least resistance, which is making a game that is maybe duotone and uses only one kind of typeface. And Mm -hmm. the art is very simple, scalable. Yeah. You know, things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I it's going to happen. It's just a question of when and then like to what to what magnitude is it going Mm -hmm. to happen?
0: Yeah, it's going to be me. Yeah. I said it here first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, that, that's good. That's good. Kaleidoscope. I only I only want to produce a digital game. I don't even want to think about, like, trying to get books to people and, like, trying to get across seas. Well, that's
2: the thing. I, I thought to myself, like, if I were to design an RPG right now, I don't think I'd try it. I wouldn't focus on, I would not be making the product with any intention of it ever going to print.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I
2: would try and just make the PDF Moby sort of EPUB yeah. product first and then wrestle with printers because there's so many things about like going to print that is it's not game design it's not it's not visual design which is also game design it's not visual design it's it is its own it's its own monster that you have to try and slay and sometimes it slays you so mm-hmm. yeah i i am always envious of people who are like i'm going to go to the printer it's going to be a it's not going to be print on demand it's going to be full on real we're talking the big show, yep. Rush concert print <laughs> with yeah, yeah. With cloth covers and little ribbons, and the paper is going to smell like vanilla. Like that kind of stuff is just like wow. That's terrifying. Like I don't understand how Morkborg costs what it does. It's like it's like thirty dollars, like thirty oh, USD. Oh yeah, but it should cost like I think I think it costs probably $30 to print like in most like American print shops because we're talking about a cover that is like soft it's got a soft touch finish it's embossed it's got foil there's glow-in-the-dark ink on the spine it's full color on the inside I think it has a ribbon I don't remember because (laughs) my mind has melted looking at it but and but like yeah like it's like how is this possible it's like I'm just going to try and make a PDF or I'm going to try to make a web page. I, I want to see more RPGs go end up on just be websites. Yeah. SR, yeah. SR, SRDs are a thing, but like mm-hmm. SRDs are always like a companion piece. They're always like the RPG stripped of its, uh, some of its soul or at least some of its coolness. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I say that and I'm just like, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> like the, that's just absolutely not true. But like, but it, you know what I mean? And yeah, And, like, there's some products, like, I look at, you know, games like Quest, where it's, like, they got, like, SRD, where it's, like, this is really close to just being the actual book, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. it could just as easily have never been a uh, print or even a PDF, could have just been this website.
0: But we also, and, you know, going full digital is also talking about, like, having accessibility conversations, right? Like, talking about Mobi format and e-reader things, and then talking about, companion pieces like how many D 5e character sheet apps exist in the play store right that all do the same exact thing so like, yeah and i know uh shit is it lancer lancer has a companion app as well so like there's definitely a push to create these i don't know companion technology pieces that can really up like you create Dark modes for apps, which would, could help with, accept, like, the big conversations accessibility in the digital world, right? And then mm-hmm. talked about how, like, how much can you fandangle? That's a made-up word. That's a Jeremy Gauge word. Fandangle. It's my a, word too now. <laughs> it I mean, now belongs to Clay. It,
2: it now belongs to me. I, I'm, I'm stealing. Like, I exist in the brain trust to be like, I'm going to use that now. It's mine.
1: That's, <laughs> I, that's a great phrase. I made this. I made this. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, But, you know, how hard is it to sort of think about, okay, I now have my print product. How do I make an accessible print product, right? When we talk about those who are blind or deaf or something to that effect, right? Do we create a Braille book for this product as well? How much does that cost, right? Yeah. So it's about finding the cheaper... All For me, like the reason why I want to push towards digital design is that it's cheaper. You know, I don't have... I don't want to kickstart. I don't want to crowdfund to get my game to people. And, you know, me and Spencer talked about, like, cool, if we did do a print thing, let's do the thing that, like, World of Warcraft does every year, right? Buy the standard edition, which would be digital. Or you could buy this really fancy, we pulled out all the stops, deluxe, like, print book. This, that you can buy for like one hundred and twenty dollars.
2: Yeah, this this blisteringly irresponsible thing we've done. Like,
0: we, yeah,
2: like I, I thought about that too because like I have like a we've you've seen it already before, but it's like I want I kind of want to make like a product that's just about RPG design, and mm-hmm. I was like, if I made a physical product, it's just gonna be a big old like vanity project. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna because like the exactly what you said earlier. It's like if if what you want to do is go lateral and yeah. help more people play this game that otherwise couldn't if you just made a print book, you're gonna be faced with the the evil limitations of budget and money and commerce. Yep. So and I, I I I'm still learning that. I I I, I never I'm not gonna talk about it too much because there are people who, who people sh- should be reading and listening to who are like experts or at the very least intermediate in that field but uh, one of the things i have learned is like there's no such thing as one product that's accessible to everyone
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that and that's the challenge is like if you want an accessible product you must make multiple products mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: because we currently do not have the power to do otherwise and and also there's just a thing of like i've, I've, I've been wondering is it like a thought experiment that like Say you take you make a game and then you you make it as sex as accessible as you can for someone who maybe has a form of vision impairment. Are they paying too much for the product if like part exactly. of it can't be accessible to them anyway? And it doesn't and it doesn't matter. Like I don't know. I I do not know the answer. Yeah. But but I it, it gives me pause and makes and it's why like my goal for this year twenty twenty one in addition to the things I want to make and write about. I just want to learn how to be a better person when it comes to like accessibility and like people who aren't me Mm
0: -hmm.
2: now, Mm -hmm. and I, and I'm like, as I've said before, I'm like incredibly privileged in a lot of ways. Like I I have Asperger's, which I guess now is just, you know, it's just the autism spectrum, Mm -hmm. but like if it impacts me in a way that is incredibly blessed and easy for lack of better words, than a lot of different conditions that other people have. But, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, like, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for the digital thing. There's also another thing. And it has nothing, all, all that very sentimental, like, impactful human things that are really true about our community stands.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I live in a shoebox in, <laughs> uh, in the north end of Boston. And so I I, I just straight up can't buy physical print products because if I do, I'm deciding that I must sleep with them in my bed because there's no more space. My bookshelves are full. So, like, (laughs) if you see me back one of your projects on Kickstarter and I do back the physical product, that means I love what I'm seeing because I'm choosing to to have that thing, like, stuffed under the mattress and give me back problems, like... (laughs) <laughs> but, and, and that's, that's a whole nother conversation, right? Like there are people who don't yep. want to buy print products because of the impact it has on like the environment or yep. the, the thing that the fact that like maybe they, they intend like me to like read it and then they'll never play it because they just, yeah they just can't. And like, I'm trying to be a better person and just in the sense of like, I should probably have this all existing in the, on a server somewhere. It probably shouldn't mm-hmm. all be sitting on my bookshelf.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think part of that people, you know, this is speaking kind of sweepingly generally, but, you know, there are people who feel like, oh, a, a print book won't disappear in the cloud. Like if the internet yeah. evaporates and wherever it's from goes away, I lose all my stuff. Well, you know, God forbid anyone experience anything like this, but, you know, a fire could happen. Someone could steal your book, yeah. right? Like your, your book also isn't permanent yeah and then you would still have to get it again right and there's nothing to say that like that book given a decade is actually still also going to be around in a physical format right so a hundred books could go out and a hundred books can be destroyed over 10 years you know what i mean they deteriorate all the same so
2: yeah and it's it's also one of those things where it's like yeah a print product like you know exists theoretically forever but like doesn't exist forever for everyone like Mm -hmm. like how many people actually own a copy of like the original like you know (sighs) hero quest you know like
1: Mm -hmm.
2: who cares if it if it exists forever if it's only under glass in a museum because that's like Mm -hmm. one of the 20 copies that still exists like yeah i i guess the to be less flippant it's like it's not it's less of like who cares it's more like I don't think you should care too hard about it. Like yeah. I think I think you should really be okay feel you should feel perfectly okay and emboldened to make a product that is only going to be digital. Yeah, maybe it won't last like 200 years, but like most things don't last 200 years.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Including myself. Yeah. Although if I, well, you know, well, if we figure out cloning,
2: well I, I, yeah, well they won't be you. It'll just be a, another manifestation of you. But we're getting, that's Blade Runner stuff. <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll we'll talk about that another time. Yeah,
2: that'll be the uh, that'll be the other podcast,
0: Clay's podcast. Well, I think for the last bit here before we wrap up for yeah. this particular episode, what are a some this this is kind of your version of the TLDR tip section of everything? What would be a aside from Morkborg and Mothership, maybe three RPGs that you think would be excellent case studies? for people to sort of analyze and then what are some, some books that can help with the fundamental or excuse me, maybe not even books, but resources that could help with the fundamentals of picking up, you know, terms and techniques for visual design specifically to the print space.
2: Sure. Okay. So because that's the current. As, yeah. As far as RPGs are concerned, you can get mothership for free right now. It's available for free. Go check it out. See if you like it. If you don't like it, that's okay. You, you're developing your tastes by doing so. But I think mm-hmm. Mothership's a really cool game to check out. I think another game, and we could talk at length about it, but Old School Essentials, which takes all that gobbledygook I said at the beginning about uh, about Gygax, it takes it takes that and makes it look, appear as though it was deliberate. It, it is a it is the single biggest feat of uh, layout in our industry. And that's that's my opinion. Those two games are good. I think you could probably check out anything by like people in the brain trust like you see, because I think what you're going to see is you're gonna see some really good craft from someone like Adam Vass. And you'll also see things that where it's like, hey, you don't have to go crazy all out with some of this stuff to make a game that's really good. Right? Like it could be like mm-hmm. a Google Doc. And that's a good layout. Google. I I I stand by the opinion that you can make a really good game with Google Docs. I, I want to run a game jam that's just Google Docs and then like pay people for having done so. Like that's like that's <laughs> that's like my goal. But yes. yeah, so so check out something made by someone at the brain trust. You can you can pick up any one of the like science fair bundles or something like that and
1: mm-hmm. and
2: get like a whole swath of them. Then check out old school essentials. Check out Mothership, and I think you're gonna get a really good vibe of all that. Of like what you could do with games just from that, then going into things that you can use to learn how to be a game designer in the form of visual design. Check out Making and Breaking the Grid by Timothy Samara. It's uh, basics on layout. It's talking about the grid system, which is a religion at this point. I think I think you'll you can you might very well really enjoy it if you're gonna do like say like if you want to learn more about words and typeface, then I think thinking with type by Ellen Lupton is probably the most accessible book you can get. There are other ones that are really intense, but that's like the big one. And then finally, I, I want to say there the best way to be a great game designer or a great visual designer is to read things that have nothing to do with it. N- no visual design, no RPG mm-hmm. design all that i think uh, type in laws of ux on google and you'll find out all sorts of weird scientific articles laid out and really interesting about like what it means to like interact with an object and it's science mm-hmm. and it's math
0: UX and it's psychology
2: it so much. it's so cool check that out listen to the podcast 99% invisible where you where they talk about mm-hmm. like a thing that's out in the world and then they go way too deep into what that thing is about and you're going to find out that the world contains multitudes, which again is the whole point of like learning design. Is being able, Once you learn design, you look at an RPG book, and you're like, look at all this here. There's so much here. The world contains mm-hmm. multitudes. Design just teaches you to appreciate it more. And then finally, and I'm going I'm to hold up a book so that the audience can't see it. <laughs> but, I, but it's for you. It's for you. I think... Anything written by a, a man named Jeff Engelstein, which is a spell G E O F F Engelstein, is great. He, he is a uh, game designer. He is a game theorist. Like we're talking like the school of economics game theorist, mm-hmm. and he's about board games, but it's really about the world like, as a whole. And I think I think a lot of people would have a lot of fun with that. Oh god, I gotta say one more book. My, I'm so sorry.
0: Hit me. No, uh, go ahead. The design. Of
2: the design of everyday things is also a really good book. It's by an author named Norman. oh God, it doesn't matter. You'll find it. The design of everyday. Yeah, I'll go things.
0: Amazon it and then I'll put it in there's, the show notes. There's
2: a there's about third there's about 30 pages just on doors in that book, and it, it it'll tell you everything you need to know about making up a, an RPG that's that people are going to just glom onto. I so, so yeah I, th- those are all my things and, and I guess the last thing I should say is you should check out my, my Twitter and my blog yes. go on it's- theexplorersco.com that's T-H-E-E it'll look like it says the because the, no spaces you know because it's <laughs> a website but you, you'll find that I review, I've reviewed a couple things one of my best friends who also lives in Cleveland probably near nearby to Jeremy writes reviews on there and yeah, you're going to find all sorts of cool stuff there too.
0: But. Amazing. And where specifically, you know, as sort of a segue into this, where specifically can people find you on Twitter or anything, you know, your social media things that they want to touch base with you? What's your, what's your apps?
2: <laughs> Just follow me on Twitter. That's the main one right now. That's at Clay Stein, C-L-A-Y-N-O-T-E-S-T-I-N-E. And then uh, if you type in that same name onto like, rpg.net or rpg geek mm-hmm. or if you go on like the gauntlet forums i sometimes post in there as well and then of course we're going to plug the brain trust discord is incredibly fun to be on and like the, everyone oh. there is very nice so i i found a really enjoyable community even if all i'm doing again is just watching and clapping
0: that's all i do yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say, H- the GMBT, what's up yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> amazing play it has been an absolute pleasure having you on both selfishly and for the folks listening because I think this is really important stuff it's really nice to have these resources do your homework we've given you the starting point if you haven't been doing this already there's no reason not to now nothing is stopping you just just do
2: it just do it if you want if, if it's fun if it's not fun yes. don't do it you know but yeah I think I think you'll really enjoy it. and thank you for having me on like Again, I like when you were like, "Hey, you want to come on?" I was like, "I don't design games, man. Like, you should pick someone, <laughs> someone important." But I, but I really appreciate it. It's been, it was a real pleasure. Yeah. I've been excited about this all week, so it's cool.
1: All right. Well,
0: before my heart <laughs> bursts, my name has been Jeremy Gage. I. This has been the Draw Your Dice podcast. Thank you for listening along. I've learned a lot. I certainly hope you have as well. And we will see you next time. Say bye to the people, Clay. Bye bye. I mean bye. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. Clayton Notestein, everybody. I have been learning from him for over 365 days, and it has always been something new. Clayton, I thank you for your inspiration. All the games we talked about today, along with all the links to get in touch with Clayton, will be down below in the show notes for your access. If you liked the show and found it helpful, send a tip my way by following the link tree in the show notes to my Kofi or Venmo profiles. Or, if you are unable to provide monetary support, you can provide support at no cost by sharing this with someone you thought of while listening to this episode and leaving a review. Both of these methods greatly impact the success of this show and lets me know that what I'm doing is beneficial to designers out there. If you want to be part of the conversation or hang out with the alumni from the show like Clayton, you can also join the DYD House Discord server. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time.